Hi, this is Julie. This is Liz. This is Sheila. This is Monica. This is Leanne. We are the Satellite Sisters. You are listening to Satellite Sisters to go. You are listening to Satellite Sisters. It's Groundhog Day. It's February 2nd, Julie, uh, 2016. I'm Leanne Dolan in Pasadena, California, and my sister Julie Dolan is in Dallas, Texas. Julie, are you seeing your shadow there in the closet? <laughs> <laughs> no, there's nothing happening in the closet, Leanne. But the good news is winter is over. Uh, the groundhog saw his shadow, I guess. So uh, we're good to go. And it's also a special shout out happy birthday to your son, right? That's right. My little groundhog is 18 today. We're going to talk a little bit about birthday celebrations later on in the show. That's pretty special. 18th birthday. It's- it is. <laughs> it's a big event for the entire family. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to talk about that. We had some birthday celebrations. We have um, some some lively stories today. We have a bitter business bureau, and that always makes us happy. <laughs> so, yes. yes, it does. Yeah. Uh, we have some gender gap stories. That also makes us happy. Uh, we're going to do some women in sports stories because it's Super Bowl week, so let's not talk about football. Um, we have, Julie, I understand there is a cauliflower crisis in this nation. It is, Leanne. I mean, it's serious. Okay. I'm going to explain it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then um, we we have some thoughts on Greece Live because, wow, Greece is the word, Julie. Greece is the word. Um, but first, breaking headlines of the day besides Punxsutawney Phil, the Iowa caucus. What, what, you know, just shout out to the people of Iowa, really. Right, Leanne. I mean, they did it. Well, I, and, and I have to say that before before yesterday, I, I was getting a little cranky with the coverage. I don't oh, know about you, but yeah. I had gotten to the point with Iowa was which was I was you know working on what I'm calling the sandals solution that for the money spent in Iowa on all the political campaigning, they could have taken everyone who wanted to participate in a caucus to sandals for an all inclusive weekend. <laughs> And come up with their candidates. I mean, they came up with <laughs> some of those decisions were coin tosses, Leanne. I know. So I, so I think I think it's pops. Uh, so I was getting very cranky, but then I don't know what happened. I took a step back, and we do have to remember we have the best democracy, the best working democracy in the world. Mm-hmm. And I absolutely loved on our Facebook group page all the Facebook pictures of the actual caucuses because. Quite frankly, I don't think I'd want to sit down with my neighbors, who I haven't really met yet, <laughs> and talk about politics. I thought that, that it takes a great deal of courage, and it really is democracy in action. And it's, you know, it's all swim. Everyone gets to participate. I love that. And on the other side of the world yesterday, it's sort of interesting to note, in the country of uh, Myanmar, they had for the first time in 50 years – they were. They had a, a democratically elected parliament was uh, was uh, was brought into session. Now, as you know, Aung San Suu Kyi, she has spent 15 years under house arrest, you know, all in the name of democracy, and she has been, you know, this is, and they are trying to move towards democracy from this military junta, and it just makes you remember things that as. You know, as crazy as the politics is here, I mean, we do have a working democracies, a democracy, and other countries around the world aspire to our political system, you know, in a way that we can't even imagine because we just take a lot of it for granted. 
So no more cranky talk for me, sister. Okay, I say on to New Hampshire and may the best candidate win. That's what I say. I, I'm sure that our Iowa listeners are so relieved now. I mean, they must get 8 million phone calls a day, and now they can just go back to ignoring telemarketers. So they, they, it is shocking, though. When you look at the number of actual votes... That's what I mean, Leon. It's sandals, so, sandals solution. We so even the winners only got like 42,000 votes. And I believe I was in uh, a Macy's this weekend in Southern California with 42,000 people. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> how, how bad do you feel if you only pulled in 3,200 votes? You feel pretty bad. I but know. I know, but um, you had your shot, Leon. That's the thing. That's what's great about it. You yeah, know? you had everybody your shot. Gets a, everybody gets a shot at it. And if you want to do it, you can, you can do it. So that's, that's a great thing. We, we, we shouldn't forget that. Um, so, okay. Thank you, Julie. Words of wisdom. We can always count on you for the big picture political perspective. Um, speaking of small picture political perspectives, I had to negotiate a three-way birthday party this weekend for my husband's side of the family, but it was really a lot of fun. And I just want to say this, my father-in-law turned 80 years old this weekend. Oh, wow. You, That's a big one. It is a big one. And if you have the chance to throw an 80-year-old birthday party in your family for any member, throw it. Right? Uh-huh. Because, because our mother used to say the wheels come off after 80. <laughs> All right. And, that's, that's right. And there's, so there's, there's some slippage after after that uh, uh, birthday. Yeah. Yes. You don't know how many more birthdays are going to be thrown. So if someone's around for 80, make a big deal out of it. And that that's was good advice, Liam. Good advice. That was my theory. We had a beautiful 80th birthday party for my mother at our house, you know, uh, five years before she died. And that was very memorable. And she absolutely loved it. And I still have the rose bush that I planted and it makes me happy in the backyard every time I see it. And so this weekend, my father-in-law turned 80. My brother-in-law is also born the same week. He is turned 53. And my son, is, whose birthday is today, turned 18. So we had the triple threat birthday party. We just went very simple. Uh, first thing we did, we went to my son's new apartment. Brooks, like hosted the pre-party so that oh, was a milestone. good so everybody got so gaming you did some shots at the pre-party land <laughs> practically <laughs> i almost shot him does that count i almost shot him because <laughs> we we showed up like several hours before the party just to ostensibly hang a few posters he only uh-huh. moved in two weeks ago uh-huh. He has actually done some accent wall painting and he, like my husband, he's a very good painter, you know, but it's a small place. So all the furniture was like shoved in a corner. He hadn't quite gotten around to putting like his clothes in a closet at any point. He is back in school. Oh, the place was a wreck. So we pulled it together. We motivated him to pull it together. We had a lovely pre-party at his place and then we we're able to walk to a very nice restaurant here in Pasadena, the Parkway Grill, which is the perfect and so difficult to find combination of not too loud and not right. too and not too dark. That and so excellent food is a given, but you can actually hear people and you can see the menu. So those two things combined for an 80th birthday party, that was very memorable. 
And then I was going to bring balloons uh, to the restaurant like you guys had done for my 50th last year. But I got I got the the no, the big no, the N.O. from the restaurant, too distracting. So then I was just kind of going to bail, you know. And then my friend Nancy said, no, you have to go and get something special because you do not. This is the last time you'll be able to celebrate your son's 18th birthday at home. Next year he'll be at school for this. And, and so she motivated me. Friday afternoon I went out, Julie. I got crowns that were... <laughs> That you could. This is you got to make a big deal. I know they don't want a big deal. No, you got to make a big deal. And you gave me that advice uh, for uh, Christmas Eve, and it really worked out well. Yeah, I got the crowns. You could actually put the number of the birthday on it. So one said eighty, one said eighteen, one said fifty-three. I got Mardi Gras beads. I made everyone wear. I got presents. I put it all on the table beforehand before people arrived. So it looked like a party when we got to the restaurant. So it all went very well. People could see, they could hear. We had a lovely meal, uh, and then we walked back to our cars. It was just all in all a lovely night. So totally. Slaying and no dishes. That's a good, that's a good thing. You know what? No dishes, Julie. Because again, usually I host. So this was just a, that's the other reason I enjoy. (laughs) That's why you enjoyed the party. It wasn't really at your house. So that's good. That's not, that's something to keep in mind too. Yeah. So why don't you just make a reservation for me? Because I'm the oldest sister, you know, (laughs) at that restaurant. I think 70 for my 70th birthday would be nice there. Fine. Yeah, I am a big believer in celebrating these milestone birthdays, but particularly 80. So just just a word of advice to people. Uh, all right, but it was fun. Today is his 18th birthday. Um, that does make you think. You know, 18, especially when you have a boy, they have to register for selective service on their 18th birthday. It yes. puts it all in a different perspective. And as anyone who's ever had an 18-year-old knows, you can no longer tell them anything. <laughs> <laughs> Right. That's probably true about about the age of 15, but now legally you can't tell them yeah. anything, right? You literally cannot tell them anything. So yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking forward to having two in that category. But uh, but there you have it. We had the big party. We're all set. He's going to go out with some friends tonight. I did get him a birthday banner, and he was very touched this morning when he woke up to see the Batman birthday banner. So all right, Lance. See, that's good. That's see, good. there you go. All right, Julie, uh, I have a bitter business bureau and this, (laughs) this week, what, what are you bitter about, Lance? I'm bitter about the new Barbie, Julie. (laughs) What's, what's wrong? What, what's, what's happened with Barbie and what's wrong with it? Okay. So, uh, here you go. Last week it was a cover news story, uh, that Barbie has now, uh, expanded their line with ethnically diverse dolls. So finally, after 50 something years, Barbie gets a makeover and now she's tall Barbie, she's short Barbie, she's petite Barbie, she's white Barbie, she's Latino Barbie, she's got all different kinds of hair. That's not the part I'm bitter about, okay? Because that's fine, okay? But all of a sudden, (laughs) it seems to me, and Mattel is getting a lot of out of girls for this, like, oh, yay, Mattel, wonderful, oh, you're recognizing, you know, women don't look like six foot tall freaks with high (laughs) heels on, that's great, okay? (laughs) Here's the deal. Mattel is a Los Angeles company. So there's an article on Mattel every single day in our business pages. And Barbie's sales have been in the tank for like 10 years. Okay. (laughs) And, and in every article about why Barbie sales are tanking and why they're losing out to the Bratz dolls or this doll or the American girl doll, the marketing people seem to blame girls in America. Like they just don't want to play with Barbies anymore. Right. Cause you know what? They're over Barbie. And it makes me very bitter that they have had tanking sales for 10 years. 
And we, every day I think of these designers and these marketing people and these salespeople, they leave their headquarters in Southern California and they drive home and they go past hundreds of thousands of young girls that are not tall blonde freaks with high heels on. They go past all ethnically diverse girls in this city that we live in, and they never once took an inspiration from actual girls. Instead, they just blamed girls for not wanting to, you know, play with Barbies anymore. So now I don't think they should be applauded for like dragging their heels for decades on actually getting with the picture. Right. <laughs> I'm sorry. Makes okay. Me- <laughs> okay. You are, but you are, you worked up about this, Leanne. I, I can see that. Yeah. Well, it makes that- me very bitter. Like open your eyes, look around. The girls of Los Southern California do not look like your doll. Maybe that's why they don't want to play with your doll. Like, duh. <laughs> Just- <laughs> I just don't understand. And they should have, and they're only responding now. It's just because um, they're losing so much money. On yeah, her. yeah. This, this is, is they, this is sort of a last ditch effort. It is, and it has nothing to do brain. with like embracing diversity or girls. No, the sales have been going down for the last eight quarters, Julie, according yeah. to reports in the LA Times today. So this is just a calculated business move that, in my opinion, is two decades too late. So, <laughs> and apparently not genuine. <laughs> You know, so okay. So, uh, do you have any boycott Barbie T-shirts that you that you're going to be distributing? I just want people to put it in perspective. Okay, I you know that's, that's like a good one. if you're what just if you're wondering why girls aren't playing with Barbie, just maybe look at girls and talk to them instead of like you know looking at them and going, I don't know, they just want to play with those Bratz dolls now. But maybe it's because the Bratz dolls had different color eyes and different color hair and look slightly different. I don't know. I don't have girls, but I can I can tell you this. But it is pretty surprising that they wouldn't have, that it's taken yes. this long. Yes, so. Julie. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, enough with the, oh, Mattel, way to go. I mean, it's about time, Mattel. It's about time. That's what I would say. (laughs) Okay. And just as a small family history thing, we were never allowed to have Barbies. And why is that, Leanne? Do you remember? Because mom didn't like all those new dolls hanging around the house because we never kept clothes on them. So if we wanted to play with the Barbie doll, we had to go to our cousins, the Morning Stars. They had Barbies. Okay. We wanted to play with them, even though they were freakish to us. Okay. Yeah. Girls like dolls, you know, but it just doesn't, to me, it just seriously doesn't take a genius to go, hey, maybe we should make a doll that looks, I don't know, like the girls we see actually when we leave this office building on a Tuesday afternoon. That's all. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Okay. Well, Lynn, then I think because you've worked up ahead of steam, I think you'll be very interested in this article that I saw uh, today about the gender gap in giving. And it's not what you think. Studies show that women are much more likely to donate uh, and that they donate more than men. Really? Yes. This is research done by the Women's Philanthropy Institute at Indiana University, the Lilly Family School of Philanthropy. Woo, that's a mouthful. But anyway. It's a lot of L's. The Lilly Family School of Philanthropy. Okay, Okay, but anyway, but they found that women and men give differently. And in one study, baby boomer and older women gave 89% more to charity than men their age. Wow. Isn't that amazing? And that women in the top 25% of the income gave 156% more than men in the same category. So, you know, with the same um, ability, like financial ability, women are, you know, giving a lot more money. Um, And, but it doesn't have, it doesn't even, but it, it works in reverse too, that even if women 
don't earn as much money. They still give more of their, you know, of their income to charities, to not-for-profits than men. And they're trying to figure out why this is. Um, they, women say, you know, in the research that they're twice as likely to give because giving is very satisfying and that it is one of the um, most satisfying parts of having wealth is being able to give it away. Oh, and isn't that amazing? Isn't that nice? And that, that women in general, this study at least, showed that women tend to be a little more altruistic and empathetic towards towards these not-for-profit causes. And men, uh, generally, they're, they're, if they're making donations, it's in the man's self-interest in a way of either maintaining his status quo or his, you know, or his position, social position, where women just tend to give money to promote the social change that they see or to help others that are less <laughs> fortunate. And so this is kind of a wake-up call for this, this research is kind of a wake-up call for all non-for-profits because in a lot of cases, they are not targeting women in particular as the giver, givers. And, uh, and apparently they should be because those are the ones, you know, they're much more likely to get a donation from female donors than, than male donors. Well, that is very interesting information, Julie. Yeah, Thank you for I know, passing that I along. I know, I know. So I just said, uh, well, way to go, women. I, I think it's a very nice thing, and I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm proud about that. One other stud- uh, sort of good news about women's um, story I have for you today is, um, you know, we got the Rio Olympics coming up uh, this summer, Leanne, and women are really, the U.S. women are expected to do really, really well in a lot of categories and they attribute the you know the fact that we have such a strong olympic team across a wide range of sports to title 9 do you there realize you go. title 9 43 years ago said that you know if you're going to spend x amount of dollars on you know men's football you have to spend equal amount of money on women's sports and oh you know it has taken that's over that's over a generation but now women's sports they are seeing the kind of depth on the teams, whether it's water polo or rowing, not to mention gymnastics and swimming and some of the more, you know, the sports where women have traditionally been, that they have such depth now because they have so many programs for women and that they're coming up and that women athletes have so many more choices when they get to like the collegiate level in terms of what sport they want to participate in, you know, and that's, that's a great thing for the U S for women's sports and participation. And it will be a great thing for us in Rio land. Yeah. Let's hope. Let's hope the Rio Olympics can go off. Well, I know I'm trying to stay, trying to stay positive, trying to stay positive. I want to bring you a positive story about the Olympics, that it's going to be good for the U S if we, if so, and that, and that, Title IX, you know, really has had a dramatic impact on women's sports and that well, on women's education in general, because it's not just parity in sports. I know you know this, but it's also parity across the academic spectrum. So, right, yeah, right. but in sports, it's been particularly dramatic. Yes. Right. So. Well, it's funny. You should mention that because I wanted to mention that tomorrow is actually the 30th annual 
National Girls and Women's Sports Day in America. And maybe you weren't aware that this was going on, uh, but a bunch of groups, including the Women's Sports Foundation and Girls Inc., have been celebrating uh, the achievements of women and girls in sports for over 30 years. And they use February 3rd as sort of a rallying point. And they go and they lobby. They're having a meeting at the White House today, and they're meeting at Congress. And they just want to promote sports as a way to advance women's issues. And, you know, they think athletes are great representatives when it comes to overcoming barriers and challenging to be successful and, you know, girls having faith in their potential. And so tomorrow is the 30th anniversary of that. And I'll put a link at Satellite Sisters to uh, the website in case you wanted to read it. But here's what I think the Satellite Sisterhood can do. They are asking you to share your photos of girls and women participating in sports uh, with a specific hashtag tomorrow. And the hashtag is NGWSD. So that's National Girls and Women's Sports Day. And they want you to share your photos with that hashtag tomorrow. And you know what? I, I know girl sports is great, and I know we have a lot of young girls, uh, daughters, uh, the next-gen satellite sisters who participate in sports. I see your pictures on Facebook that your mothers post, and that's great. But I also know that we have a lot of women in the satellite sisterhood who themselves are competitive athletes and are, you know, runners and triathletes and ultra marathoners and doing all kinds of fantastic things. So remember, it's Women and Girls Day. So I want to get some of the Satellite Sisters sharing their photos of their athletic endeavors as a way to celebrate women in sports. Oh, I like that, Leanne. Yeah, I like it too. All comers. Yeah. That's good. More pictures. We want them. Basically, let's get some old broads up there too. It's great to see. Celebrate. I mean, we love those little girls in their it's, soccer uniforms. They're fantastic. Those are they fantastic. They look great. All right. But we could, as Leanne said, we'd love some old broads. Yeah. Maybe with their golf clubs. Yeah. You know, whatever. Whatever yeah. you got. Are You know, are you on a softball team? Whatever it is. We, we want to see pictures. We want to see pictures. So the hashtag, again, is NGWSD. National Girls and Women's Sports Day, NGWSD. And feel free to tag at Sat Sisters and your Twitter photos or your Facebook photos. With that hashtag, we would we would love to check in and see what you're doing. I wish we had any competitive. <laughs> Maybe we can dig up that photo of Liz, Sheila, and Monica swimming in 1962. <laughs> That's right. The medley relay, the Dolan family medley relay. We had enough enough of us on the same swim team that we we fielded our own our own group. That was good, Leanne. Yeah, maybe we got that. I don't know where that picture is. I'm still unpacking, so I can't find it. Okay, all right. Well, Leanne, I have to tell you, one of the bright spots of my week was when I went into my uh, local grocery store, and for the first time in a long time, I was not confronted with a giant mountain of kale. I was just so pleased that somehow they had moved the kale away from the front door of the grocery store, where it has been for the, you know, for the last two years. Yeah. You just can't go in a store. You'd have to go around this giant mountain of kale. Um, and I mentioned this because what was in its place was, um, was a very, very lovely cauliflower um, uh, display. And I know you love ca- cauliflower. We I do. I've embraced it. I embraced it over the last like 10 years. I've led a lot of cauliflower into my life. But it's, it's having a moment now, Julie. It, it really is. And people, you know, people are mashing it. They're grating it. They're grilling it. They're using it for pizza crust. And with good reason, because cauliflower is low carbs, full of vitamin C. It's good for you. And 
But here's the problem. We have a cauliflower crisis. I read about it today in the paper, Leanne. We, we have quite a situation because of all the cold weather that you've had in California oh, yeah. and in Arizona, Arizona. There now is a supply shortage. And because everyone is using cauliflower for everything now, the demand has gone up. And so the price of cauliflower is skyrocketing, Leanne. I mean, in some places uh, this week, Cauliflower is like four ninety nine a head. I it is six ninety nine a head, Leanne, for cauliflower. <laughs> that is hard to justify. It is hard to justify. <laughs> People are really they're you know they turned to cauliflower to get away from kale. Right. I, I suspect I don't know, but and uh, now they now they might have to break up with cauliflower. But it's a real crisis. I don't know. I don't know what what, what we're going to do, um, but if you see cauliflower at a good price, you should buy it. Hoard it. Hoard, you should hoard it, basically. Hoard, hoard. Yeah. Okay. Let's go ahead and do Let's start yeah, that. Let's start see. hoarding cauliflower. Okay. I'm well, we ahead. had it. I served it up Sunday night. I made spaghetti and meat sauce for Colin, but I made cauliflower and meat sauce and zoodles and meat sauce for my husband and I. So we had the zucchini noodles, the zoodles with the spiralizer and roasted cauliflower. And we just put the meat sauce on top of that. It's just, there you go. So okay. we are part of the problem. We're contributing to the shortage. But yeah, at one point, one week, a couple of weeks ago, we had it like four nights in a row. My husband's like, okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. So I think you're the epicenter of the cauliflower <laughs> crisis, Leanne. <laughs> okay. Well, I read this article. I was like, I better go buy some, you know? I always only I only I saw it for like three ninety nine. I guess that's a good price. I better better grab it. Better now, snap it up. Now that gas has come down, they're jacking the price of cauliflower up. It's all upsetting. <laughs> that's it. Upsetting. Yeah, you have, that's right. You don't have any more money. No disposable income. Right. All right. You know, we are going to move on to our Downton Abbey <clears throat> recap. Excuse me. Our Downton Abbey recap, Downton Gabby, in just a minute. But uh Julie, it was it was the battle of the epic TV shows on Sunday night. It was hard to know what to watch, what to watch live, what to choose. And I have to admit, I was sort of getting my shows all mixed up. But I decided to go with Grease Live as my live television option and then record uh, Madam Secretary and Downton Abbey uh, on the DVR to watch after it. And you know, I have a special spot in my heart for Grease because like most Americans, I was in a production of Grease in high school. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I think pretty much everybody was. Yes. Even if you didn't do the whole play at a, at a talent show, you certainly did one of the songs. Right. Words. You're yeah. familiar with Hand Jive from a summer yes. camp production. Right. Yes. You you and your friends, yeah, did uh, Grease Lightning, you know, for something, for a tryout or something. Yeah, absolutely. It was Julie. the theme of your prom, no right. doubt. Right. I mean, you. everybody has Grease in their life. Right. So, so I, I just was so excited. I was texting my high school friends like, this is it. Is everybody ready to go? My friend Liz, who lives on Martha's Vineyard, had been Patty Simcox in our particular production of Grease. Oh, and she killed okay. in that. Uh, I was a sophomore in high school and I was given the chance with my friend Wynn to actually choreograph the show. They, the, the our theater uh, teacher let me choreograph the show. So I was really familiar with the dance numbers. I mean, I was pretty psyched to see, <laughs> to see that production. And I thought it was fantastic. I enjoyed every aspect of Grease Live, every aspect of it. I thought it was great. It was an amazing live event. 
like that that was live i had to keep reminding myself like my gosh they are doing this now they are shooting it now and like two sound stages and they're driving things and the camera's tracking and they're all dancing and the live audience i thought it was fantastic I, Lee and I have, I watched it too. Uh, my husband and I watched it. We loved it. Uh, you know, it was different than like the play or the movie, but it was equally as, you know, as wonderful in its own, in its own sort of modern way. I, yeah. you know, I think yeah. that was good. Now, you, you know, I've been married a long time, uh, but there is one woman, there are a couple of women that at, you know, like if they rang the doorbell and said to my husband, come with me, my husband wouldn't even look back at me. And one of those people is Olivia Newton-John. Yeah. You know, he, he just has had a crush on her since, since day, you know, since he first saw Greece. And I think uh, little Juliet Howe did a fantastic job. She was, I thought she was delightful. She was really good. I mean, yeah. first of all, she can really dance. Yes, and so that was, and she just was on. I was surprised how good her voice was. I thought yeah. she looked beautiful. Beautiful in every scene. I thought she was a really good Sandy. And yes, I do. I, I thought she had all the like the Sandy qualities that you wanted. Yeah, yeah. And 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 Danny Zuko is that Aaron Tvet. I don't know if I'm yes. saying his name right. Today. And I mean, he, he was spectacular in his his own way. I mean, yeah. I mean, okay, he was like 15 years too old to play Danny Zuko, so that was disarming. But other than that, I was fine with it. I thought they okay. were great together. And I just, and you know, Vanessa Hudgens, having lost her dad, I mean, I don't want to pile on the praises of her, but she, what, she was great as yes. Rizzo, and that must have been really, really hard. I mean, I that is a really hard thing to do. And she did it, and she was great, and it looked like she was having fun and enjoying herself at the end. I was very happy for her. But I thought it was an amazing production. It is a reminder that the book for Greece is really dated. Uh-huh. <laughs> and... Like every line has sexual innuendo, which seems <laughs> yes. un- like bad. It sexual- was a pretty racy play. Yeah, when it first came out. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. And then it, you know, and then since every high school in America has done it, we definitely changed a lot of the book when we did it in high school. But a couple of years ago, um, in the in the small worlds category, the theater teacher at my son's school was the original Sonny in the movie, the actor, Michael Tucci. Uh, He also, I believe, was in the original Broadway production. So he played Sonny in the movie and does occasional acting roles still. He was in The Heat. He played Melissa McCarthy's dad in The Heat. But he was a longtime theater teacher at my son's high school. So one day we're sitting on the couch at like 8 o'clock at night and Grease is on. And and my son's like, this is Mr. Tucci. I'm like, yeah, let's watch it. And he realized (laughs) this is really inappropriate. (laughs) Wow. This this is all sexual innuendo. So, uh, but special special place in our they kids called him Tooch. So I was hoping that Tooch might pop up in a like a reprise role like Didi Khan, but that's too bad he didn't get an opportunity because he's really kind of a delightful, funny guy. But uh, I absolutely loved it. I thought it was amazing. I hope they do more. I mean, I hope I hope they do more of those. That was a spectacular spectacle, is what I thought. I loved it. Okay, loved Leon, it. that's good. And so. Are they going to repeat the live? I mean, are they going to show it again? I think they are. I think I read that they're going to repeat it this weekend. Don't quote me. Check your local listings, as they say. (laughs) I've never said that before in my life, but you should just, you should check your local listings. It's a good one, Liam. All right. Um, But it was, it was sort of a tough call. I did after so high after Greece, like feeling so good. And my husband was long asleep uh, that I'm like, I'm going to watch Downton Abbey at 10 o'clock on a Sunday night. And wow. <laughs> what a downer. It was, ex- it was an explosive episode, Leon. No doubt about it. 
All right. Stay with us. We're the Satellite Sisters. We're going to take a short break, and then we'll be back with Downton Gabby. It's that time of year again, Satellite Sisterhood. That's right, Galentine's Day. Oh, yeah, I said Galentine's Day because we're the Satellite Sisters. We can't really help you with Valentine's Day. You're on your own to get a Valentine. But if you want to take this opportunity to say thank you to your female friends, the women in your life that get you up, get you going, and get you through, then that we can help you with. Our collection of essays, You're the Best, A Celebration of Friendship, is the perfect thank you note, the perfect Galentine card for the women in your life, for your besties, your BFFs, you know, the people that get you up, your satellite sisters. You can find You're the Best, A Celebration of Friendship at Amazon.com, at your local bookstore, or at gift stores everywhere. Leave the chocolates for someone else to give. Give your satellite sister You're the Best, because you know what? She's the best. You are listening to Satellite Sisters. This is our weekly recap of Downton Abbey. This one is Downton Gabby, and we love talking about the PBS show as it wraps up its sixth season. I'm Leon Dolan in Pasadena, California, and I'm joined by my sister, Julie Dolan, in Dallas, Texas. We watch TV just like you do, basically on the couch, but we have a notepad with us. Julie... I don't even know where to start with this episode because things were going along so well. And then bloody hell. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's the words for it, Lan. I mean, I never really understood that British expression now <laughs> until you know. Lord Grantham's guts came out on the dinner table. I mean, bloody hell. What was that? I don't know. I shot up off the couch, Lan, when that happened. I let, let out a shriek. I mean, they have surprised us before with sort of grim, sudden endings. Matthew's uh-huh. car crash and Sybil's death, Sybil's death, and Anna's rape. That was terrible. But this was like a whole new level of just shock and awe. I mean, there was, there was that was projectile land. <laughs> Okay, we are going to get to Lord Grantham's burst ulcer. Yes. I mean, I hope, I mean, let's just, let's hope none of us ever have one well, of those. I wrote that down in my notes. Please, please, let me not have a burst ulcer. Looks bad. Yeah. My goodness. But we have to take this one in chronological order because there were a lot of excellent love stories emerging before uh, before Lord Grantham's guts came out on the table. And uh, I would say the first two thirds of this episode was just the look of love. I mean, love was in the air for the folks there at Downton Abbey. We had all kinds of pairings happening. We had Edith and Bertie. We had Lady Mary and Henry Talbot. We had Mrs. Patmore and Mr. Mason. We had the Dowager and Lord Grantham. They had uh-huh. some lovely moments. Mr. Carson and Mrs. Huge. That could be the shortest marriage on record. <laughs> <laughs> we had the footman and the pigs. Oh, the yes. pigs were back. And then uh, we had all kinds of other wonderful love things happening. So let, let's start with Edith and Bertie. Okay. So well. he, yeah, I, I loved it, Leanne, because Edith um, uh, lured um, her her new paramour to her her own flat. That was pretty exciting. Very modern, I think you said. Very modern, and you know, and I think Edith has a confidence this um, this season that she hasn't had um, in past seasons. I mean, she's really been down in the dumps, and clearly this this apartment that she has gotten is the best thing that she got from that old rotten boyfriend of hers. I mean, I mean, he did you know he did give her marigold, okay, yeah. but she was married okay and the magazine 
But then she has this super stylish flat to operate out of, you know, and she can get out from under her sister's thumb at Downton Abbey. And she looked pretty radiant, don't you think? Oh, yeah. She looked beautiful. And they're perfectly matched, these two. He's sort of a working, not too fancy guy. And, you know, she's got her job that she thinks is exciting. And she goes up up to London to, or down. What do they do? They go up to London or down? I don't know, Julie. What do they do? <laughs> they go up to London. <laughs> okay. Yeah. They go up to London. She hires, like, Tina Brown, 1925. I mean, that bright young thing <laughs> came in. She's only 26, the same age as... As uh, as Edith, so you know they're going to be a dynamic duo, and that's going to be exciting. And then and then like Bertie makes the move, and they start making out in her apartment. Fantastic! Yeah, that was nice. It was a good makeout session. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So all good with Edith, you know, until the explosion. <laughs> Until the explosion. Okay. okay. Then we have Lady Mary and the race car driver, Henry Talbot. I'm just yeah. so happy, first of all, that Matthew Good keeps reappearing because yes. he is a bright spot and very different than most of the other men that Mary has dated. So I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, and I like that Tom is acting as the matchmaker in yeah. this situation. I mean, when you consider it, Tom has known true love. You know, he, you know, he talked about his marriage to Sybil you know, that it was a marriage of equals, that they had so much love and respect for each other. And Tom really would like this for Mary, you know, who he's kind of, he sees as a sister. And, you know, and he's telling her to like kind of get off her high horse or get off her pig and get on with it, don't you think? <laughs> yeah, get off, get off your pig, Mary. It's true. Mary says, I can't marry beneath me. And then she gets one look at Matthew Good's windswept hair in that pub and that yeah. man-sized beer. And I think she's like, okay, maybe I can marry beneath me. Huh, yeah. maybe I yeah. should consider that. And last week on the Facebook page, we had a lot of speculation that Mary would never go for a race car driver because, of course, Matthew died in a car crash and that's never going to happen. But, you know, Lady Mary does not care what we think. She, <laughs> she doesn't care. I think she's yeah. proven that over and over and over again. She is better than us and she knows better. She doesn't seem, that does not seem to be an objection to her that, you know, a potential paramour drives really fast cars. She hasn't mentioned it. I don't know why we should be concerned about it, Julie. Right. Well, I don't think it's the fact that he drives a race car. I just think that she doesn't really understand what that profession, if it's a profession. I mean, she kind of thinks maybe he's a chauffeur. Is that it? I don't know. Uh, but um, but I, I, any, any time that he's on, there's just such electricity between Mary and Henry. You know, the way he sort of winks at her and teases her and, you know, it's... It's good. So I, w I would like to see more. Yeah. And Tom, as the matchmaker, just saying, for gosh sakes, stop coming up with stupid excuses to see each other and just see yeah. each other. Yeah, that yes. was. That was good. <laughs> yeah. Tom is settling into many roles. We're going to talk about that later. All right. Then we have Mr. Mason. He's finally moving into the house. Of course, Lady Mary has some concerns about the pigs because, you know, it's that's, that's her A number it's one. It's work, Leanne. <laughs> Of course, Mary's concerned about the pigs. She's, that's her life, right? I mean, the poor guy has not even had a cup of tea in her new house. And she's like, we're just here to check on the pigs, basically. <laughs> like, I don't actually care if you enjoy the house or thank you. What, what's happening with the pigs? You're old, old man, and uh, I'm concerned about you. Right. But don't worry, because Andy the footman steps up and surprises everyone by saying, I want to learn about pigs. <laughs> He's a pig lover, Leon. He knows. He knows where the money is at Downton Abbey. He's figured that out. 
Yeah, pigs equal power there. So uh, he's figured that out, even though he can't read. But uh, but who is fussing over Mr. Mason more than anyone? And that is Mrs. Patmore. And clearly she has a little thing for Mr. Mason, don't you think? I think so. I mean, I think Mr. Mason looks, you know, he looks much better in this episode. I mean, his the, his skin color, he is, he is, you know, he just looks healthier. And I think I think it's because he likes Mrs. Patmore, like fussing around, making him another spot of tea, and and she likes him. I mean, she needs some company. She's just down in the in the kitchen pounding all those that dough all the time, right? It's all she does, right? Well, and now that Mrs. Hughes is like you know, hit off and, and got in her own cottage and her own husband. Really, Mrs. Patmore is sort of there alone. And remember when Mrs. Hughes was getting married, Mrs. Patmore made some sly comments about, like, I would like to have that kind of <clears throat> experience. And, yeah. you know, but what is up with Daisy? Daisy is like a, a little jealous child now. Like, yes, I don't want is. Mr. Mason to talk to anybody, and he doesn't need anybody else. And But what is that? That seems... Like, Daisy Verge is on annoying almost all the time, but you have to kind of like her spunk. But not this week. I did not like her spunk this week, Julie. I, I, I agree, Leanne. I thought she was, really, just back off, Daisy. I mean, let these two, let these, I don't know how old they are. They're probably like 35. I know. Mr. Mason and Miss Patmore. 35. But just let them have their their time together. I mean, you, you should get on with uh, the junior pig man there. And, right. Uh, and get your own thing going. I don't know what the jealousy is about. Uh, yeah. But, she, but maybe she just doesn't want Mrs. Patmore moving into that house. I don't know. But she doesn't want to move in. He said, Daisy, why don't you move in? And she's like, no, you need to be alone. <laughs> be alone. Being alone is much better. <laughs> that is a very poor British accent. Yes, it was. Uh, thank you. The worst I've ever heard. <laughs> Okay. The other love story of the week I thought was the Dowager Countess and her son, Lord Grantham. You know, they have a very interesting relationship, the mother-son team. And yeah. even though Lady Cora continues to, you know, advocate for the opposite side on the tedious hospital discussion and all kinds of things, Lord Grantham really cannot say no to Mama, can he? No, no. He's, he is a loyal son, you know, and he's a, he adores his mother and he holds her with great respect and he's not, he's not going to cross her, you know? Yeah. So. And uh, this week, uh, the Dowager Countess schemes to get the Minister of Health, uh, Never, Neville Chamberlain. Neville Chamberlain, you know, who of course <laughs> went on to be prime minister and yeah. give away part of Czechoslovakia to the Germans, uh, you know, but yeah, there was old Neville. And if you look at the pictures, Leanne, that whoever played Neville Cham Chamberlain on Downton Abbey looked exactly like Neville Chamberlain. Yeah. I, it, yeah. Really? I, you did some research. I'm I impressed. did a little research there, Leanne. Did a little research. Just wanted to see the picture. Cause I was a little suspicious of that mustache. I was yeah. like, What's up with that? Well, but he was dashing. He was dashing yeah. looking. Yes. And he, he had a, a pass that included some hijinks and pranks, which I understand was also true because I did uh, check a Wikipedia page on him. So uh, that uh, that was true, that story he told about his brother-in-law. And somehow the Dowager Countess had the goods on him, and she used that to pretty much blackmail him to get him to Downton Abbey for what looked – well, what turned out to be the worst dinner party ever. But <laughs> – Pretty much, Liam. It was that bad, was it. and then yeah. it got horrible. Yeah. Uh, but in our love rundown, we're not quite done. Uh, we have Andy the footman and his pigs. This may be yeah. the greatest love of all. I'm just so glad Mary has that virile pig man now. Uh, but we learn that Andy can't read, 
and uh, Thomas offers to teach him uh, I don't to like read. that. I don't like that, Leanne. I'm a little nervous about uh, whether Thomas is going to be genuine in his interest to help Andy read or whether he's going to take advantage of it. Oh, I thought it was the one genuine moment of humanity that Thomas has had all season. So mm-hmm. I thought that was kind of a charming scene. You know, we 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 it was telegraph when which is your favorite book, the red one. We knew Andy couldn't yeah, read, and then uh, Thomas steps in and offers to read. I thought it was okay. I think it I think it may be you know a tiny bit of redemption for Thomas after what has been just four horrible episodes of Why Are You Even on the Show. So I was happy to see that. I was happy to see that. And then finally, Mr. Carson and Mrs. Hughes. Like how how fast could this marriage go south? Okay. I know. Mr. Carson, you never really occurred to me that being married to a head butler is a terrible gig, apparently. Yeah, because he's used to seeing what's, you know, what goes on in the main dining room. And I guess that's what he wants at home, you know. He and wanted, Mrs. Carson well, is a career girl. You can't expect her to be a cook, right? Yeah, yeah, she doesn't cook. She doesn't know how to make things. You know, as Mrs. Patmore says, hey, everyone thinks they could cook. And she's heated up a few things, but mainly she's been, you know, eating Mrs. Patmore's food for 30 years. Right. Right. So, no, she didn't She didn't polish the silver. She didn't warm the serving plate. That was... That, that is a big no-no. Yeah, so you're right. I mean... And that he's embarrassing Mrs. Carson in front of um, everyone else, you know, saying that she can't cook. And Mrs. Patmore, can you give Mrs. Carson, uh, you know, a few cooking lessons? That was awful. Yeah, I, I think Mrs. Carson, there's going to be a showdown there. You know, yeah, but I, well, I, have I think to say that cottage that they are they're living in. <laughs> yeah, very nice. I, I figured that's probably worth at least five to seven million dollars on uh the current real estate market land that looked pretty nice yeah i mean if that was a house hunters international cottage someone would pick that if they were moving to (laughs) they would totally pick that if they were moving to yorkshire wherever they live but Uh, it's always a bad sign when someone says you know she she doesn't cook like um my mother oh 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 so you know what mr carson had all these mother issues that we now have to work out okay right and again, how old is he? We don't know, but he's old enough to have gotten over his mother issues by now, you know? Yeah. So uh, if you're still pining away for mama's shepherd's pie, that's a problem. Yeah. I think uh, Mrs. Hughes can get Mr. Bates to strangle him. And that'd be <laughs> his last act that's of right. murder. That's good thinking, Liam. That yeah. There is, that's right. We yeah. have that hand, handy murderer just floating around at Downton Abbey. Yeah. She hasn't had much to do other than to sneer and pretend to smile. So that's good, Leon. Good thinking. <laughs> okay. Now from the servant's desk, again, that was like a boatload of love happening. Then from the servant's desk, okay, Baxter is going to go testify uh, about, for, about the guy who, you know, set her up years ago. And the fact that she's getting lessons on how to testify from Bates, that, <laughs> that was, that seems bad. And once again, she's chosen Mosley as her legal counsel, which is no matter, Leon, no matter what happens, if you ever get into trouble, do not call Mosley. Okay. Right. You'd be better off with Bates than Mosley. <laughs> totally. Uh, she's a little bummed that she doesn't get to testify. The witness pleads out. So we never get to see him either, this dastardly guy, which was yeah. sort of annoying because they've been talking about him for like three seasons now. And there's kind of a golden rule in TV writing that like if you name a character, you got to show the audience the character. So we don't get that. Uh, but at least the storyline is dead. And so that's good. <laughs> <laughs> 
Whew, we're wrapping up that storyline. All right. And then we have Sprat versus Danka, the two yeah. uh, servants over there at the Dowager Countesses. And I have to say, that was one of my favorite scenes all year when Danka, the lady's maid for the Dowager Countess, just tears apart the doctor on the street. I love that. That was... It was shocking, Liam. Really? It was like, what is she doing? Yeah. She just went off on him, you know? Yeah. That was it. And then he's such a weenie. He wrote the Dowager Countess letter like, oh, your lady's maid was mean to me. Boo, boo. What's I that? I mean, because man up, doctor. What? <laughs> and then the Dowager Countess has to fire her. And that was a great scene about, you know, all there were some great lines in that scene. But then Danka, you know, she, she's got Sprat over a barrel with, you know, again, another another unfortunate cousin who he was hiding from the law. And we get to find out that Sprat's first name is Septimus, which is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So we're speeding towards this big dinner party slash showdown with the hospital. Uh, all the parties are going to be there. All, all of the upstairs people are going to be there, including appeasement enthusiast Neville, Neville Chamberlain. Lots of foreshadowing here about, you know, his position in the war. And then aliens possess Robert and basically rip his guts out of his <laughs> mouth. And he, that's where I had seen it, Leon. You're right. It's yeah. like from a, it's alien. alien. And, and and he gets blood not over the, all over the table, but all over everybody. I know. <laughs> I mean, even Neville had a little uh, spots on his on his uh, white uh, white tails there. So that looked that was bad. But it, poor Lady Cora. I mean, it was like. It was like Jackie Kennedy. She had like blood all over herself. It was. And then he, you know, he says as he's dying there of this uh, bleeding ulcer and who knew that the term bleeding ulcer really meant bleeding ulcer. (laughs) Like what the Uh, bloody ulcer. First bleeding ulcer. I don't know. He said, you know, just know that I have loved you, which was very, very, I guess supposed to be touching, but I had to turn away from the television. (laughs) Because that was... Well, because it was all gurgling out of his mouth. (laughs) And then an hour and a half later, the ambulance comes. And uh, not before they've all had time to, like, have several conversations, discuss the hospital some more, uh, get their maids to do things, uh, get some coffee up, and uh, they, they whisk him off to the hospital. And all I could think is someone get Lady Cora, like, a clean you know, some a clean sweatpants and a sweatshirt. <laughs> I mean, come but on. they didn't No, She just put on her like silk wrap uh, with the fur collar and headed out. So. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I'm surprised that they didn't kill him off. I, I'm, I'm surprised he's alive at the end of the episode. Liam. You know, yeah. That I survived. was surprised too. I thought it would be totally fine if he died. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I like him as a character, but it would move things forward pretty rapidly if that happened. So I, I was surprised that he stayed alive. We don't, maybe he's not out of the woods. Maybe uh, that doctor will still have another chance to kill him. So <laughs> doctor, what's his name? It was very sweet that the whole staff stayed up. You know, they're downstairs just all sitting around in uh, the table waiting to hear the news. Yeah. So Yeah, was... right. That was sweet. Even though, yeah. like, I thought, don't you realize he's kind of a pompous guy who's really never been that nice to you? But okay. So they they were up. They were waiting for the word on Lord Grantham. We see uh, Lady Edith and Mary have a moment in the hospital where there was actually some genuine affection. But prior to that, Lady Mary, in the, the hour and a half that they're waiting for the ambulance, overhears Cora and uh, the Dowager Countess discussing Marigold. Now, 
how dumb do they think Mary is? I don't understand. Like, I don't even. She's the smartest one on in the family. Well, next right. to the she's Dowager. She's the agent of Downton Abbey. Yeah. She's running the whole thing now, you know, and that she hasn't. She hasn't been a little suspicious about a uh, little baby Marigold to begin with. Yeah. Oh, and just as a sidebar, uh, no more talking from those kids. Okay. okay. Oh, there's a scene with the kids earlier on. Yeah. And they have the kids saying, saying things. Yeah. No more talking. Just let them run, be in strollers. You know, I just, that was bad. Okay. Yeah. I, I agree. I wanted them to rip apart those travel books too. I thought that would be excellent. <laughs> okay. Uh, but anyway, so Mary does get whiff. Get you know yeah, in yeah. a whiff of this of this situation with Marigold, and she thinks about bringing it up and confronting Edith, you know after after dinner, which <laughs> I mean, and of course when they come back from the hospital, Edith's going to check on the children. Mary's like, of course you are. <laughs> oh, I mean, one of those kids is Mary's, but she I know she's yeah, not okay. going. She's not yeah. going. She's not going to check on the children. She wants to go in and t- talk to Anna about her sister, which, you know, I appreciated that. Uh, and, and so we find out that Lord Grantham is going to make it, uh, but clearly some truths have come out in this moment. And, you know, Cora is forged now to get the new hospital. And I, I Neville, Neville Chamberlain, let's hope he, he doesn't come back. He has that long scene with Tom where he confesses, you know, why he really came. That was so unbelievable to me. But uh, a few more. Yeah, I don't think Neville would ever talk to a former chauffeur no No, he wouldn't no No. well especially tom has become everything now he's the driver (laughs) he was the bartender the emt the general contractor the matchmaker yeah Yeah. all in that tweed suit land you know he's looking a little chunky do you think he ate too much fast food in america or is it just i i didn't i don't i i hate to make that comment but i think you're right i don't think the three-piece suit Tweed suit is doing him any favors, right? It's the tweed on tweed on tweed. I, it's, yeah, he needs to do, he needs to get out and walk uh, walk Downton Abbey a lot more. Walk yeah, on the grounds. Get yeah. get in there with the pigs, Tom. Yeah. get in there to get the pigs. He needs some. Yeah, the tweed on tweed and too much tea. It's not it's not been good for Tom. There were some beautiful shots today. Some unusual of this episode. Beautiful shots back at Downton Abbey. Mm-hmm. You know, looking back over the meadow. And uh, and Julie, I'm with you. The grandchildren must not speak. Uh, <laughs> We just don't have time for that. Right. I have one other note. I mean, the, uh, once again, all the evening clothes were oh. incredible. It's, 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 you want to, like, you have to rewind and watch those scenes over and over again to study the details on the necklaces, the earrings, the embroideries, just beautiful. But one, one tie that Mary was wearing in one of the breakfast scenes, it was like a maroon knit tie. I, I'm pretty certain our brother Jimmy had that same tie <laughs> in high school. Remember that when knit ties were in? Knit ties. You're right. I, I was not, I was, I was I, as, as stylish as Mary is, I, I was a thumbs down on the, on the knit tie. Well, she certainly stepped in there at the end and said, we have to take over now. He can know, you know, the meaning she's, she's fully seizing power from her father. She and yeah. Tom, they don't want him to quote, worry anymore. Uh, right. So, you know, the rise of Mary, Lady Mary next week, I'm looking forward to that. And Edith getting away and doing her thing in London. I'm looking, looking forward to that. And I'm looking forward to Bates killing again. So <laughs> who, who will he kill though? That's the question, really, Julie. Who will he kill? He's a ticking, (laughs) ticking time bomb, Liam. Okay. All right. Anything else to add? 
No, I think that's it, Leanne. Covered the tie. I just wanted to get that out there. So, <laughs> All right. You can always post your thoughts at our Facebook page. It's a group page, and everyone contributes equally. Lots of Downton Abbey chatter there. Uh, it's uh, the Satellite Sisters asked to join our Facebook page. Facebook group, and we will approve you new members every week, and it's great to have you on board. If you're new to Satellite Sisters, you can find plenty of our podcasts at SatelliteSisters.com, SatelliteSisters.com, and at iTunes. All right, Julie, have a fantastic week. You too, Leanne. And don't forget, call your Satellite Sister.